All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is the story of three people, three different generations, three different job situations. Matthew graduated last year with the most common major out there, business. Hi, I'm Matthew. I was the vice president of the French Club, and now I've got a great startup idea, but I've been working as a temp at Amex. I'm worried about my school loans and my rent in Williamsburg, so I'm thinking I need to get a real job. Then there's mid-career Amanda. Hi, I'm Amanda. I was an English major. I've worked at Time, Inc. for about seven years as a copywriter. I'm really worried about losing my job in the next round of cuts. I'm definitely up for getting new digital skills, but I'm not sure where to start. Oh, and I just finished reading Lean In. And Lester, who wants to get back in the workforce. I'm Lester. I worked in a back office for a bank for about 25 years, so I have a lot of administrative and computer-related skills. I retired in 2003, but now I need to go back to work. I've been trying to find work by answering online ads, When I went to the city's Workforce One Center for training, they basically told me to go sit in a rocking chair for the rest of my life. I didn't like that. Three tough situations. Do you relate to one of them? Or maybe you feel like you know Matthew, Amanda, or Lester. And maybe you sort of do. Because Matthew, Amanda, and Lester don't actually exist. They're composites of people who are trying to transition into the tech economy. And if you related to one of them, in the next 25 minutes or so, you're going to get real insider tips on what could get you a new job or a better one in this new workplace. Or frankly, just keep the one you have. And even if you don't see yourself in our imaginary friends, with unemployment around 7%, listen anyway. You'll hear the frustration, the questions, and the surprising obstacles that maybe your neighbor, relative, or friend is facing as he or she tries to figure out their next steps. We covered all of this during our New Tech City event a couple weeks back. The evening was called Tech and Today's Worker, upgrading your skills in every phase of life. I'm Manoush Samarodi. I'm host of WNYC's New Tech City. I am so excited to see so many of you here. Do you all have drinks in your hands? We yes, set out to guide the real Matthews, Amandas, and Lesters of the world with the help of a panel of experts at a New Tech City event held a couple weeks ago at WNYC's snazzy Jerome L. Green live performance space. Okay, I get applause. Okay, that's good. But we called it Tech in Today's Worker, upgrading your skills in every phase of life. How many of you are wondering if you need to learn how to code? Lots of hands go up. Just about everyone at our sold-out gathering wondered if he or she should learn how to write computer code. How many of you are looking for a new job? Yeah, and most of the 120 people there were looking to switch jobs or just find one. And they got some good advice. They traded some powerful stories, too. But before we launch into how technology is changing the way we work and causing a lot of stress and anxiety, I need to tell you something. 
I love hosting events. And I also want to let you know, I have lots of notes here. This is very exciting. But if you've ever moderated a discussion or given a talk, well, you know how sometimes you wish you could do it all over again, like adding in details and really witty retorts? Guess what, suckas? I've also got a podcast. So I'm going to do my event all over again, right here, right now, souped up with added radio value including behind-the-scenes interviews with audience members. I was at Citigroup. My job was essentially eliminated. The bird's-eye view from a renowned economist. There's no evidence that over the, even the short, or medium, or long-term, technology has led to a rise in mass unemployment. And a visit to a trendy coding class in New York. It's a 12-week full-time program. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City. Okay, so first, meet the panelists at the Tech and Today's Worker event. Sitting next to me is Larry Harris. He is going to address the needs of the recent grads. He is chief marketing officer of the ad tech company Pubmatic, representing those who are mid-career, my old friend Carmen Scheidel, vice president of learning and development at Time, Inc., and our expert on seniors, Tom Camber, who's founding executive director of Older Adults Technology Services. Three panelists, one for each generation. You'll hear from Carmen and Tom in a bit. But first, we kicked off our discussion with advice for recent grads. They're the ones, perhaps more than any other demographic, who need to figure out how to stand out in a crowded job market. Too many people show up at interviews and they've done no background check. They've done no, they know nothing about the company. They know nothing about me. I may know more about them, you know, from their Facebook page than they know about me. They didn't look it up. That's a man whose Twitter handle is at Glarus Harris. Larry Harris teaches at City College, but mostly he does the hiring at Pubmatic, a company that's kind of like an eBay for advertisers. Last year, Pubmatic was ranked the third fastest growing internet company in the U.S. And I asked Larry to join our event after spawning an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that was written by his colleague. It was called, Sorry, College Grads, I Probably Won't Hire You that basically said, graduates, I'm not going to hire you if you don't know how to code. That was the gist of it. Is it that simple? No, but you've got to understand the basics of digital, right? So you have to understand how, how do sites work, how does, um, you know, if you want to be on our mobile team, how does mobile work? Uh, if you want to be on our video team, what is streaming video, what's involved in it, right? And you have to have a, a, a passion for making those things work. So does that mean essentially that's great that you have a degree? good for you, but I need you to sort of set yourself another curriculum, which is to, A, you know, figure out, you got to be a major in my company, done all the research, B, possibly supplement your your proper, in, for lack of a better term, education with potentially a continuing ed classes in programming, those sorts of things, taking classes elsewhere and or online? Sense, or? Well, have some sense where you want to go, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not going to start out being the head of sales, Although many 22-year-olds interview like that, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but the, ha, 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 ha. The, but podcast listeners, something weird happened then. Suddenly, while I'm sitting there kibitzing with Larry, I see two people out of the corner of my eye get up, put on their coats, and leave. Maybe they just got a text from the sitter saying their kid is sick, I wonder. But no. Later, I check my Twitter feed and read this from at SnugUg. At Manoush Z, we left early tonight. As two recent college grads, one of whom works in tech, we found the stereotyping of our generation very disheartening and quite disrespectful. Maybe next time include peers, not C-levels, as they tend to be most disconnected. Hmm. At SnugUg, the age of the panelists frankly didn't occur to me. My hope with having Larry there was to get insight from someone who is doing the hiring at a tech company that is growing at lightning speed. 
and I wish you had stuck around to hear this next part. Here is exactly what Larry asks anyone he interviews. I asked him about group experiences. Tell me about one that was fantastic and what was your role in it. I don't care if it was a high school play. And tell me about one that where everything went really bad. Yes, because all the startup companies, it's all about the culture, right? So you have to kind of know. And it's all about the things that you were doing in college that you forgot matter in business, which is still about collaboration. It's still about being able to move an idea through a process, right? And it's still about... Um, and everyone forgets this because it's in my business, it's all about data. But humans are storytelling animals, right? So data doesn't do anything. <laughs> it just sits there. So we look for people who can take the data and tell a story. So tech companies are looking for stories. And storytellers come from backgrounds you don't usually associate with tech. English majors, obviously. Holla. But history, philosophy, all of the humanities, they build stories. All right, so now a tall, thin, and as you'll hear, very well-educated guy in the audience comes to the mic. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the um, crisis in higher education with uh, humanities PhDs. Uh, Less than a third of them find fulfilling careers in academia. So there's two-thirds of all the humanities PhDs are looking for something new and are trying to figure out how. What do you think? One of our best analytics people is a PhD in philosophy, right? Which he said, well, they're not hiring that many of those right now. But but the reality was he he was very good at, um, at, if he was working with a superstar data person, then taking what they wrote poorly, right, and making into brilliant thought leadership stuff with an angle. So it's, there's, there's... You have to do the you have to do the work and the homework. Did we all write down that phrase? Brilliant thought leadership stuff with an angle because oh, I still love that phrase. So recent grads understand some coding, or at the minimum, understand the concepts of coding, but go for the jobs that the machines can't replace, the ones that will always require a human touch. That's the advice we got at our event, and it was also backed up by MIT economist David Otter. The jobs that are going to stay valuable that are not going to be displaced by technology um, are ones that combine a set of uniquely human skills, flexibility, adaptability, with a set of scarce technical skills uh, that need to be used in combination. So airline pilots, nurses, plumbers, you're in luck. For the rest of you, coming up is part two of our new Tech City live event, Tech and Today's Worker. Mid-Career Amanda is next. Okay, so to get that first job in tech, know the language of the web and how to tell a good story. But what if you already have a career, like Amanda, with seven years of copywriting experience? I'm really worried about losing my job in the next round of cuts. I'm definitely up for getting new digital skills, but I'm not sure where to start. This is the type of mid-career person that our next panelist, Carmen Scheidel, talks to all day long. Last January, Carmen was hired by the magazine publisher Time, Inc. to get its 5,000 employees more digital savvy. But let's be honest, that 5,000-strong workforce at a media company like Time, well, it's pretty likely to shrink some more. So I started with a question on behalf of our imaginary friend. Can I ask you a really harsh question, Carmen? How can Amanda not be part of the next round of cuts? How are these decisions made? Because I hear so many people who are like, I don't know why it was me. I guess somebody had to go, and I thought I had the right attitude. Is it just attitude, or is it that they think, you know, this person has the aptitude? Being the top thinker on a certain topic isn't 
as valuable as being able to get things done. Being able to navigate and to get things done is a sign of success. You know, it becomes very clear because there are obstacles all around in a large company. You know, startups have a diff- different types of obstacles. It's something within people's control. So are you starting to offer and are you finding that other corporations are starting to offer their employees in-house um, continuing ed? Oh, yes. So that's why Timing hired me. That's essentially what we do. We can create customized learning for employees that's very unique to what the company needs people to know. And so we're, you know, we're, that's what I do. That's what we're developing internally. So there's a huge amount of support. But not all companies are investing in their employees like this. And the discussion about tech jobs and continuing education is happening all over the place, including on the radio. When I was talking about the growth of tech companies with WNYC's Brian Lehrer on his call-in show, the discussion, though, quickly turned into one about layoffs, with a lot of frustration. Marjorie in White Plains, you're on WNYC. Hi, Marjorie. Hi. Um, I'd like to talk about com- established companies, not just startups, that are actually doing the opposite of what you're discussing, um, reducing jobs, reducing jobs in the U.S., reducing jobs in New York State and New York City. Did you just lose a tech sector job? Uh, yes, I did. You are one of many, I understand. Oh, many, thousands. Every time I hear a story like Marjorie's, I wonder if a severance package these days should include money and an HTML class because she is definitely not alone, and it takes hard work to reorient a career. Back at our event, we heard a lot more stories like Marjorie's. Things move so quickly in this field that I'm just looking to maintain some knowledge of it. I don't want to feel like I'm completely left behind. I've always had a lot of difficulty finding out what my story is, finding out how I need to sell my skills and show my relevance. I was at Citigroup. My job was essentially eliminated, but it really became clear that that job is uh, is kind of changing, and also the realization of the world is changing, and maybe this is a great time to learn some new skills. New skills, but where to get them? We've got a list of online resources at newtechcity.org. It's got places to go online and brick-and-mortar continuing ed shops. One idea from our event, mid-career panelist Carmen Seidel suggested video tutorial site lynda.com, and she's made sure that all her Time, Inc. employees have a membership. But then... Um, I am a... Uh, you mentioned uh, online courses and... Uh, a stubbled like gentleman came up to the mic and reminded us that it's not just about getting the new skills. You also have to prove you have them. I was just wondering if you could uh, elaborate a little bit more on uh, possible directions that uh, someone might might take that in, in terms of uh, doing something to demonstrate a proficiency with a skill acquired in that uh-huh. way. So can you think of a skill that you would take a class to learn? Uh, yes, a recent one would be uh, Java programming. Okay, perfect. So it's completely meaningless if you just take a class, but if you actually program something with the skills and then you have a finished product to show, having that outcome is what's important. Okay, so that guy took a course online. But as many of us know all too well, taking an online class is easy. It's the finishing it that can be tough. One study even found that with those massive online courses, you know, MOOCs, only about one out of every 10 people enrolled actually completes the class. And that's why people still shell out the big bucks for a real-life, in-person option. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was challenging. Um, I learned something new every day. 
New Tech City producer Alex Goldmark recently visited a coding class at General Assembly. It's a kind of school-slash-office space for tech startups here in New York. And what you're hearing is the brimming optimism of graduation day for the intensive web development course. It's a 12-week full-time program, so they're here every single day, all day long. And so what these folks are presenting are the, the, basically it's the culmination of 12 weeks of learning how to become programmers, computer programmers, developers, engineers. That's Marty Adams of General Assembly. She says 97% of graduates looking for a full-time job find one. Good thing, because the course costs $11,000. Well, I was a math teacher, so I'm pretty good with numbers. And I was able to calculate that I can, I can sustain myself for a certain amount of time uh, and afford the tuition. The specific skills I, I was lacking was my development skills, web development, uh, Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, HTML, CSS. I just, I had no knowledge at all. And I think that's unacceptable in this day and age. Well, people want to hire me. That um, is the big difference, I think, going from like, music composition to a job that people are actually looking for. Well, I went to a job fair yesterday, and like, it was, it was kind of crazy how many people needed programmers. It's unbelievable. They, they pretty much were trying to offer me jobs on the spot. That was Adam McCabe, Chandler Moisen, Camila Cano, and Winston Yuan. Mid-career folks finding a new path. But let's face it, those guys, even though they had five to ten years of work experience, they were still pretty young. Nobody in that coding class was over the age of 40, which kind of begs the question, where do the older folks, like over 60, where do they fit into this discussion? Back to our tech and today's worker event. And here's a surprising stat for you. A quarter of the U.S. workforce is now 65 years or older. There's a bigger supply of older workers. Um, As the baby boomers are hitting their 60s, we're uh, reaching a point where we have more people available to work. Our last panelist, Tom Camber, is the founder of Older Adults Technology Service, or OATS. They're healthier, um, so they can keep going to work and stay engaged longer. Um, many people have some disposable income and are looking for a third career at that stage, so there's the whole encore career option. Um, and as the economy is starting to warm up again, people are looking for employees that have some of the skills that older, older workers um, seem to really excel at. So older workers show up early, they stay all day, <laughs> they're not necessarily on their Facebook all day. Um, They're highly literate. They have stories. They have subject expertise. Okay, come on, Tom. Not every employer sees it that way. Let's not forget Lester's story from earlier. When I went to the city's Workforce One Center for training, they basically told me to go sit in a rocking chair for the rest of my life. Well, Lester, I think like a lot of older workers uh, or older job seekers, is, um, has a series of challenges to finding a job, right? One of them is that his skills, there's a skills mismatch. Um, he was out of the workforce for a while, and so um, he showed up at Oats and said, I know how to use a computer, but it's a mainframe. And, um, and he didn't know how to use Excel. And so we started by saying, okay, well, let's teach you to use the sort of, sort of mainstream technology. And the very first thing that Tom told Lester? Ditch the AOL account. <laughs> That's nothing, simple. <laughs> nothing says I'm 70 more than your AOL.com email address. Um, and Tom so says, don't pretend you're any younger than you are, but... Older workers are often going into interviews and the, uh, they'll be asked right in the interview, well, what year did you graduate college or how old are you? Um, they can't which ask is, that, right? It's an illegal question. A lot of the employers are concerned that older, employee, older job seekers are not interested in, in continual education. So it really doesn't matter what you're showing, what you're learning. It matters that you demonstrate somehow that you are learning. 
So it's about creating a different narrative. And that's what our case study, the imaginary but all too realistic, Lester did. His story was that he wanted to go out and really in his later career life he wanted to make a difference. And so when he went for the interview, that was, he was able to make a compelling argument about that in that job. But they hired him. In the audience, one older man with a disability worried that his narrative could never be that appealing. Everybody has a story, right? My story is, I love being blind. It's a story. How do I tell a story that's compelling for my business, which is real estate, uh, to a person who, doesn't, who has a completely different temperament? Uh, and what kind of medium should I use? You know, one of the things that we find uh, that's so challenging here is that you've got um, these multi-generational workplaces now. So you're working, uh, you're trying to tell a story to somebody who might be 35 or 38 in this case, and they have a lot of anxiety about dealing with older adults. So part of the, the dynamic is to break down that, that barrier and put the hiring manager or the supervisor at ease, which you can do with a variety of ways. I mean, if you write in, a, in your cover letter and you make some you know, personal statement about something that doesn't sound really stiff and uptight, but sounds like you're having fun at your job, because they're 35 and you're 70 and you're looking for a job. And so that's got to be, you have to kind of reduce the, the level of, of anxiety in that situation a little bit. Gosh, and like you don't have enough to do, right? I mean, it's stressful, it's but like... that's part of the strategy. You have to do it. Just do it. You can do it. A million cliches have been spun off that sentiment. But every cliche is a cliche for a reason, right? Well, we can help you do it on our website, newtechcity.org. You'll find the panelists' top five tips for relevance in today's job market, plus that list of resources and all the slides that we featured at our event. And if you need a little more inspiration, you can also watch the video of this event. And online, oh, I don't know, around 50 minutes in, you can see an extremely touching presentation from Zach Lieberman. He is the founder of the School for Poetic Computation. Their motto is more poetry, less demos. Love that. So it's his story about how he updated his skills with technology and found his calling. This is in a festival for children. That's number one, number two, number three, number four. I call it the open mouth phenomenon. This is Zach describing his work, which includes letting audiences physically touch and move around digital paint. And he also includes some amazing pictures of kids who are just in complete wonderment watching this happen. They are literally dropping their jaws. And that's the standard that Zach now holds himself to, whatever he makes. So if there's anything that I would say like what my art is about or what I think this idea of poetic computation about is, is really about open mouth. I certainly dropped my jaw when he shared his heroic project working with an artist who was paralyzed by Lou Gehrig's disease. So Zach got him to draw using a laser and just his eyes. It's kind of difficult to describe right now. You really need to watch it for yourself and let me know if you well up with tears too. I'm Anoush. This was your ticket to our event, Tech and Today's Worker, upgrading your skills at every stage of life. I'll talk to you next week on New Tech City. And I just want to say thank you to the Green Space crew, as always, for having us, especially Jen and Ricardo. Plus, thank you to Aaron, Kate, Elliot, and Noah for lending us their voices. All right, can I use these headphones? Sweet. Okay. I've worked it. Wait, let me start. Hi, I'm Amanda. Yikes. Older male. Wait, I'm too young for this. Uh, so I'm thinking about getting a real job. I don't know how these kids get jobs. Oh, and I just finished reading Lean In, so I'm pumped! <laughs>